When you pick up your newspaper today, if people still get a newspaper, anybody still take a newspaper? Okay, a few people do. If you uh, pick up your newspaper or if you turn on the television and watch the news or if you check it out on your uh, uh, iPad or computer or something, uh, sometimes it can just get downright depressing, can't it? It just seems like there's not a lot of good news, but a lot, a lot of bad news. And I mean, uh, just uh, constantly reading about uh, spousal abuse and about crime and about robberies and about shootings and all kinds of things. And we just wonder, what in the world has happened to God's wonderful world? <laughs> when we open the Bible, we read about God creating a world that was absolutely perfect. And... Uh, and yet it's so far from that today. So what has happened? Well, the third chapter of Genesis tells us what happened. Sin entered into the picture. And when sin entered into the world, it not only entered into the world in general, it entered into the hearts of men. And so the Bible teaches that every person born in this world that is born by natural birth process in any way, with a human father and a human mother, comes into this world with the taint of sin and with the stain of sin and with sin in their heart. We do not have to teach our children how to sin, do we? We teach them how to obey. We teach them how to be polite, how to be kind, how to be unselfish. Well, at least we do our best to do that. But actually, there is something wrong in the human heart. And the Bible calls it sin. It just says that sin is the problem. And we could say that the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. And so man is just born with sin in their heart. And then it works its way out as they get older and as people begin to make decisions, they work it out. Some people have the idea that uh, sin is something that we develop along the way, but the Bible teaches that it's an inside job. It's an inside job. Uh, several years ago, a uh, man who grew apples, I was talking to this man, and he said, uh, uh, I said something about uh, an apple. He had me an apple, and it had a hole in it. And I said, oh, thou better, better not eat this. It's probably got a worm in it. He said, no, if you see an apple that has a hole in it, it doesn't have a worm in it because the worm has already come out. He said people have the idea that worms eat their way into the apple and then they're on the inside. But he said that's not right. He said the worm is inside the apple and it eats his way out. And I looked pretty puzzled. And I said, all right. <laughs> now here's my question. How did the worm get in the apple to begin with? And he said, well, the egg of the worm was laid in the blossom on the tree. And so when the apple developed, the worm was already in there in its egg form. And then it grows, and, when it, and then it begins to eat, and it eats its way out. So... Tell you the honest truth, though, if you hand me an apple that's got a hole in it, I'm still not going to eat it. <clears throat> because I'm thinking, 
he might have a brother that's still in there and hadn't eat his way out yet. So I'm not sure. But, it, but I thought, what well, a great illustration is that when people are born, there is already the egg that has been laid in the blossom and sin and sinful actions are just the outworking of sin that is already in the heart. So, so what do we do? What, can, what has God done to try to restrain evil and to try to solve the problem of sin in our world? And I want to suggest three things just very, very quickly. And uh, we'll be out really on time today. And uh, uh, one is that God has provided a means whereby people can have a changed heart. Did you know that law enforcement cannot change the heart of anybody? Legislators cannot change the heart of anybody. The president or preachers, for that matter, can't change the heart of anybody. If we could, we would, wouldn't we? But God can change the heart. The most wonderful verse in the Bible, the one that we love the most maybe, is John 3.16. And it tells us that God can actually do something for us uh, if we trust in him. Let's say that verse together. We all know John 3.16. And if you can quote it, quote it. If you can't, read it. All right? For God so loved the world that, well, wait a minute. Let's put it in, yeah, you're kind of confusing me there with the new train. Okay, let's start over again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16. All right. That's a great verse. And it kind of encapsulates the gospel for us and the hope of every man. Did you know that there is no person too corrupt, too wicked, that God can't change his heart? I pastored a church in uh, Mississippi back uh, 30 years ago, 35 years ago. And while I was pastoring there, an amazing thing happened. The Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan got arrested. Hallelujah. He needed to be arrested. He had done some pretty horrible things, and they put him in prison. Well, it just so happened that the leader, the president of the Black Panther organization also got arrested. And he probably also needed to be arrested because he had done some pretty horrible things. And they got put into the same prison. And everybody thought, this is really going to be bad. And it was bad for a while. But Chuck Colson went to that prison and he preached a gospel message. And the grand wizard of the Ku Klux Klan and the leader of the Black Panther organization in Mississippi both were saved. They were converted to Christ. Their hearts were changed. And there was a picture in our one of our Mississippi newspaper of these two men embracing one another, not in a headlock either. They were embracing one another in a 
act of genuine affection, and the two of them began to work together in that prison to lead Bible studies. And when I read that, I thought, yes, that is the hope. That is the hope. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter who you know and what they've done, and you sometimes think there is no hope for this person. The hope is that God can change sinful hearts. I love the verse in uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, where it describes what has happened to those of us who have trusted in Christ. It says, He, that's speaking of God, has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us, translated us, placed us in the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So what has God done to try to help this messy, mixed up, crazy world living in darkness? He has sent his son, the light of the world, to die on a cross for us so that we could have redemption forgiveness, and a new heart, a new heart. That's the first thing that has happened. The second thing, not only what God has done for us through Christ, but the ministry of the church. Now, I'll just say to our guests who are here today, we're, we're a small group of folks here. You can tell that. Not all of our people are here today, but uh, even when we're all here, we're not a great big uh, group so we're we're not really like a mighty army but we are like a SWAT team and so we can do what we can do and we absolutely love our community we love Glen Heights and we love to serve right here in our area we love to serve whether we're serving individuals over here at the laundromat or whether we are serving at the schools or whatever we're doing we love to serve this community because the Bible says that Jesus himself went about doing good. He did. He blessed other people. He helped other people. And the Bible tells us that we are to be followers of him and that we are to do what he did and that we ourselves are to do good, the Bible says, to all men and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And then one reason we love our community is that we know that if we have a strong, healthy, happy community, we ourselves are, are better off. Listen to this verse out of Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7. Jeremiah 29, 7. God said to the children of Israel, seek the welfare or seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace, you will have peace. That means that if we pray for our leaders, our officers, our first responders, our government, our mayor, our councilman, our city government, if we pray for them, 
to have wisdom. And I have the opportunity about every four or five months, maybe, they invite me to come to the city council meeting and open with prayer. And I'm so appreciative of the fact that we have a city council that still does that. And I love to pray for them. I love to pray that God will give them vision and wisdom and courage and integrity and that God will guide them so that our city will have peace. As we pray for the peace of the city, then we ourselves will benefit from it. So that's the second thing. And then the third thing that God has done is he has provided uh, institutions. I don't mean like mental institutions. I'm talking about he's instituted various governmental agencies for our protection. And that's what I want us to focus on for the next few minutes. I, uh, Chief Burns, could you introduce the firemen who are here? Could you tell us who, who is here and, and introduce your family also? All right. And you are Chief Burns. And is this your? All right. Good. All right. God bless you. Thank you for being with us today. All right. Well, the passage of Scripture that we read earlier that, uh, that uh, Stephanie read to us reminds us that God tells us that these institutions are instituted by God, that our, our paramedics and EMTs, our firefighters, our, uh, our policemen, you're not just servants of Glen Heights. You're actually servants of God. I actually got stopped by a policeman one time. Well, unfortunately, I've been stopped more than one time. <coughs> In fact, I think even one time here in Glen Heights, maybe, come to think of it, this was several years ago. And uh, I drive slower now. I do everything slower now. But, uh, uh, but I was stopped by a policeman, and he came and uh, getting ready to write me my ticket. And I just said, well, I just want to shake your hand. I said, uh, uh, as a fellow servant of God. And he looked at me rather strangely, and he said, what are you talking about? I said, well, I'm a, I'm a preacher, and, uh, and you are a policeman. And I said, the Bible says that both of us are servants of God. And he did go ahead and finish writing me my ticket. But he said, well, nobody has ever called me a servant of God before. He said, I've been called lots of things, but I haven't been called a servant of God. But I said, well, that's what the Bible calls you. And uh, I usually don't tell policemen that I'm a preacher if I get stopped because I got stopped once in Memphis, Tennessee for running a stop sign. And I just went right through that thing. I mean, it was midnight and I was in a hurry and I didn't even slow down. And this policeman stopped me. He came around. He was pretty irritated about it. And I said, uh, well, uh, I'm, I, I'm a preacher. And he said, you're a preacher? I said, yes, sir. He said, well, you know, I wasn't going to give you a ticket because you ran the stop sign here. It was midnight and no car ran. But he said, if you get up on Sunday and you tell everybody else to do right and then you come out here and run stop sign, he said, I'm going to write you the biggest ticket that I can. So no longer do I ever mention the fact that I'm a, a preacher when I get stopped. 
But, uh, but we do appreciate the fact that God has established uh, groups of people who serve us in this protective capacity. And uh, I had an opportunity for a while to serve on, on the fire department, the volunteer fire department over in Ovilla back when they had a volunteer fire department. And uh, I learned in that brief period of time something of what uh, firemen and policemen have to endure. And I guarantee you it caused my uh, respect and admiration for them to go up immensely. And I just want to share with you just a few thoughts about why we appreciate and, and honor our first responders and then how I want to pray for them today. One, we appreciate them just because of the protective nature of their work. Uh, they're, they're around us all the time. You know, uh, most people, and I don't know if you're like me, probably when you meet a policeman on the street, what, what's the first thing you do? What do you do? <laughs> yeah, you fasten your seat. <laughs> if you haven't put your seatbelt on, you put it on, don't you? And you check your, your speedometer, and you might even slow down. Even if you're not going too fast, you might slow down. So we kind of have this idea that they are there maybe to uh, uh, make us do the right thing. But actually, they're there to try to help make everybody do the right thing, which is to our benefit. And so the protective nature of their work, whether they're in uh, fire and rescue or if they're in first responder as a policeman. And, uh, and then we think about the danger and the stress of their work. I don't think that many men become policemen or firemen for the big dollars, do they? No, <laughs> I wouldn't think so. As a matter of fact, I've always thought that school teachers and firemen and policemen ought to be the people who are making the highest salaries. And that maybe football players and baseball players ought to just be having fun, you know. But it doesn't seem like it's worked out quite that way, does it? But they, uh, they don't go into it for the money. As a matter of fact, why, why do people become a policeman? Chief Pacifica, could you, you you have an idea on that? All right. Okay. I think you're exactly right. I don't think it's uh, uh, I don't think it's for uh, uh, any other reason than to feel like that there is some kind of sense. This is what I'm supposed to do. And for those who are Christians, they say this is what God wants me to do. The young man that's living with us right now, he uh, he could do, he's so gifted in so many ways, he could do a lot of things. But he said, you know, I want to help people. And he said, when I began to ask the question, how can I help the most people? He said, I thought, you know, being a policeman, they can, they can help the most people. And he has this idea that as a policeman, he's just going to be loved by everybody. Y'all don't tell him. Don't tell him any different yet right now, okay? 
That's the firemen that are loved by everybody, isn't it? That's right. But he, I'll tell you, you need to be a fireman. <laughs> but, uh, but he said, you know, why would people not love us? Because he said, we're there to protect people, to rescue people, to help people. And I said, well, you know, I kind of thought the same thing about being a preacher back years ago, too, you know, that everybody would love the preacher. And I learned that that's not true either. But uh, I think of the, of the danger and the stress of their work. I think of the ugliness that's often included in their work. I was praying last night for, for all, of, all of our policemen and, and firemen, the ones we know. And I was thinking, you know, they see things that they can never unsee. They, it's in their mind. And... Uh, and they have to live with it. I, I, I know I have police friends who have had to pull people out of burning cars. And they've had to uh, uh, take children out of the, the water that had drowned. And, uh, and uh, I can remember one time when I was on working with the police department as a chaplain back in Mississippi. And two young children had drowned. And and they asked us to get in the boat and go out in this lake and to pull with a a hook, a grappling hook, and try to recover their bodies. And uh, we didn't, by the way. In fact, we found out later that they didn't drown. They had actually run off. And they but uh, but all the time we were pulling. I was just sitting there thinking, what what will I do if we pull up the body of an eight-year-old little boy. But there are many policemen and firemen who do have to deal with that. And so the, the, the things that you see that you can't unsee. And then I was praying last night because I think of the potential to become jaded and cynical. I think it would be easy for someone who had been in that work for many years to reach a point where they just can't see the good in humanity. They just see the bad. And then I pray for your family. I don't know, uh, those of you, uh, we have policemen wives here. Have some wives of our policemen here today? No? None of the, none of the wives are here? Okay. Uh, well, I pray for your wives. Now, where are the policemen again? Are they? There we go. Well, I know you got a wife. Surely you got a baby there. Uh, but I think about the stress that it has to be on the family of those policemen and firemen knowing that their husbands or wives, as the case may be, go out into harm's way day after day after day, never knowing if they're going to get a call saying that there's been an injury. And then my last thing is that I, I pray that all of our public servants will see themselves as God's servants first, like I mentioned earlier. 
see yourself not just as a servant of the community, not just as a servant of the force, but as a servant of God. And that God is using you, can use you, and will use you to, uh, to touch the lives of other people. So we appreciate you. For those of you who are policemen, for those of you who are firemen, and, uh, and for those of you who serve in, in a variety of ways, we appreciate you. And we wanted you to know that you have friends here at Bear Creek Baptist Church who love you and appreciate you. And if I come speeding through Glen Heights, I expect to get a ticket, okay? And, uh, and Chief Pacifica says, you will. And, uh, and because I know that uh, that's the part of the responsibility is to make sure that people try to do the right thing. So we thank you. And uh, I would like to ask you to come up here and line up along the front so we can pray for you. If you're a policeman or a fireman, and I know y'all are looking at each other like, man, we didn't know he was going to have to do that. Uh, but that's probably not any worse than some of the other things you have to do. And I'd like you to just join me in praying for these men. Of course, this is not near all of our policemen and firemen. We have how many How many policemen are on the force? Okay, 15. And uh, we have a young man living with us that's looking for a job. No, I, <laughs> and how many, how many firemen? All right, great. Wow, that's wonderful. Well, so these are representative of them, and I'd like to ask you to stand with me, and we're just going to uh, to pray for these uh, men and their families. Okay, yes, all right. If you'd like to uh, just kind of reach your hand forward as if you're actually touching them, you're certainly uh, encouraged to do that. So let's pray for them. Heavenly Father, I do thank you so much for the men and women who put on the uniform day in and day out and uh, protect us, rescue us from time to time, and deal with the elements that are not pleasant many times and many times get uh, abuse rather than appreciation. So for all of the officers here in Glen Heights, all the firefighters in Glen Heights, we just lift them up to you now. We ask for your protection to be on them and protect them from harm. I pray that you will also protect them from cynicism and protect them from discouragement. And I ask you, Father, to use them in a mighty way to do what you've called them to do, that they might recognize that their calling in one sense is a calling from you to serve, to represent, and to protect. And I ask that you will bless them, and I pray for their families. Lord, I pray for the wives and the children who see their husband or their dad put on this uniform day after day. And while there's an element of pride and excitement about it, I know that for many of them there's an element of anxiety as well. And I just pray that you will bless their homes, bless their families, bless their children. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.